1: They're like, if casual and cool, had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com.
3: Welcome to the History Extra podcast. Fascinating historical conversations from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. Hello and welcome to this Everything You Wanted to Know Halloween special. To explore the long history of all things that go bump in the night, we've got a two-part special for you with the historian Professor Owen Davies who's written books on the history of witchcraft, magic, ghosts and other supernatural beliefs. In this first episode, we're answering your questions on the history of the Festival of Halloween and delving into the origins of some of the most popular traditions that surround the 31st of October, from the malicious and downright dangerous beginnings of trick-or-treating to the ethereal inspirations for Jack-o'-lanterns. And in part two, which will be out tomorrow, Owen will be tackling more listener questions on the history and evolving mythology of our most popular Halloween monsters. Owen, thank you so much for joining me for this two part Halloween special of our Everything You Wanted to Know series. Let's start with an incredibly basic question about Halloween, but a very important one nonetheless. So, we've had a question on Instagram from the Morty candidate who has asked, What is the meaning and origin of the word? Halloween can you kick us off
0: yeah yeah well I mean it's it's simply a contraction of all Hallows Eve with with Eve evening being contracted to Ean. so it's yeah essentially it means all Hallows Eve but it's obviously easy to say Halloween actually
3: anyway. <laughs> yeah well let's go into All Hallows Eve then Ali Louisa and Belle Buchanan on Instagram both wanted to know where this idea of Halloween or All Hallows Eve originated from
0: in, in both its name and origin, it, it's, it's a Catholic festival. It's a Catholic festival of the dead, basically. And we have evidence going right back to the early centuries of the Christian church. And Halloween is part of kind of three days of commemoration slash celebration, which is called All Hallow Tide. So you've got All Hallows' Eve on the 31st, Halloween. Then on the 1st of November, it's All Saints' Day. And then on the second of November, All Souls' Day, the All Saints' Day is is commemorating the saints up in heaven, uh, or celebrating, uh, and obviously All Souls' Day is, is connected to purgatory and, and the souls of the dead. So yeah, it's 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 all part of this you know global old Catholic festival.
3: And were there any precursors to a slightly supernatural festival, or is it re- very strongly based in the Christian tradition?
0: This has been. This is a yeah. This is a big. This is a big debate. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of stuff out there which is saying this is actually based on a, on a Celtic festival, Sawan or Savan, if you don't pronounce it correctly. And uh, yeah, there lot has been written right right back to early anthropologists and uh, early folklorists in the late nineteenth century that that essentially the idea was that All Hallows Eve or Hallows Tide was basically a covering up of of a pre-Christian festival of the, in this period now obviously i'm sure things did go on but we just don't know and everything about current traditions really can be tied into catholic old christian festivals as well so i'm not saying there wasn't a pre-christian you know celebrations but it's that the evidence is thin and a lot of the you know, evidence that gets brought up today is what we call survivals, uh, survival theory, which is early folklorists who are just desperate to find anything pre-Christian in calendar customs and popular traditions and beliefs and that's it does kind of stem from those early folklorists desperately looking for fire festivals and sacrifice and uh, horse cults and all these sorts of things in, in you know fairly mundane everyday calendar customs.
3: So next, we've got a question that might be completely impossible to answer, but Rumham, amazing name on Instagram, has asked: When was Halloween first celebrated?
0: It, it, it dates right back. I mean, in the uh, kind of a point where it gets attached in the calendar as we know it today is really around in the 10th century. So this is this is essentially when commemoration of the dead is kind of put, you know, as a red spot, as a red letter day in the church calendar. But, you know, before that and in other churches, some of the Orthodox churches, the commemoration of the dead or the saints, you know, can happen at other parts. So in some Orthodox traditions, for example, it's, it's during Easter. If you want to root Halloween as in commemoration of the dead or connected with the dead, that this time of year, it's obviously happening before the 10th century, but that's when it gets fixed in the calendar, certainly in, in Western Church.
3: Well, that's an important point, isn't it? Let's talk about geography. Sequin Run on Instagram has asked, why is Halloween seemingly mostly celebrated in North America today? And do you think that is a fair representation? Where did it originate and where has it been celebrated over history?
0: Well, Halloween, as we we celebrate it today, or lots of people celebrate it today in, in the West, does derive largely from how Halloween and other related traditions were uh, brought over to the states particularly amongst the, the massive migration particularly of irish and scottish in the mid 19th century at this period that's that's separate from the origins of a religious festival which is obviously the, the the early the early pilgrims and settlers whether they're they're from you know britain or they're from germany in the 18th century and 17th century are protestants yeah you know, most of them are protestants who obviously do not celebrate commemorate the dead, and absolutely do not believe in purgatory. So you know, in a sense, Protestants would have rejected the whole All Hallow Tide traditions. So you know, we can't place it there in America, really. And obviously, you know, in America, Thanksgiving developed, you know, roughly around this time as, a, as a, another you know secular, stroke religious um, festival as well. But it is mostly in America, which comes down to, um, in particular, the emigration of. Uh, Irish and Scottish because they had a distinctive tradition around this time of mischief night which is sometimes today on the 30th October not the 31st but it, it's all mixed up and you can you can look at newspaper reports from 19th century America and find you know numerous reports of things happening on Halloween uh, which were acts of mischief quite serious acts of mischief actually
3: can you give us some examples and tell us a bit more maybe about mischief night
0: you can have these sort of mischief nights where mostly young men, it's nearly always young men, um, go out and perform acts of mischief. Sometimes it's associated with May Day, sometimes other parts of the calendar, but it was particularly strongly associated around All Hallows, All Hallow Tide, and Halloween. So you do get newspapers in America sort of reporting, oh God, you know, they're at it again, sort of thing. This is from the so right through to the 1930s. But things like um, quite serious, like greeting railway tracks.
3: Oh wow! So they could have real dangerous consequences. Yeah, then. yeah,
0: yeah. Or, or knocking over outdoor toilets when it comes to the rise of the car, puncturing tyres. You know, quite quite malicious sort of stuff. This is lots of young men roaming around, having you know, getting a bit of freedom. And obviously, you know, the term trick or treat derives from the idea of trick. But essentially, the, the sort of mischief night was not necessarily about going around going. We'll do this. Unless you give us some money, sort of thing. Although there's elements of that, but it is just about mischief when the norms, the norms of policing and stuff, are kind of slightly broken. And you get other calendar customs, like the Plough Monday is another one. You know, where young men go around pull a plough and they go begging at the same time. And if you don't do it, you know, they're going to be a bit annoying and plough up your plough up your lawn. You know, so it, it, it's one of a series of these sorts of events where customary tradition trumps local, you know, justice and rule. The kind of you know the local. Police constable steps back a bit on these occasions. So, yeah, you you see that all over the place uh, at this time. So it's misrule, misrule, a bit of misrule, you know. And obviously, I think... You know, one of the reasons why that happens around All Hallows' Tide is it could be that it's the kind of thing of not in a very serious sense, but it's the idea. Well, this is the time when the spirits are uh, closest, the spirits are out, and things like the fairies and it's a time of, of of where of supernatural intervention, and then you can kind of cloak and disguise this misrule in a broader sense of things being very uh, on the edge.
3: Would that connection that idea of the supernatural being close at hand and it being a religious festival is an interesting one. Can you tell us a bit about how these two ideas interacted in Halloween?
0: At all Hallows Tide is the moment when the, the, the world of the supernatural, and we're particularly obviously in a, in, a, in, a, in a religious church sense, it's the dead we're talking about, not fairies and things, but in a popular context, the relationship between ghosts and fairies uh, and spirits sent by witches is all part of a similar sort of other world. With similar traits, you know. So, you know, if All Hallows' Tide is the moment when when the living are closest to the dead, and the sense of commemorating the dead and being in contact or communicating with souls in purgatory from a Catholic perspective then it makes sense that it, almost like this is a kind of a portal time, you know, or as as, as as academics like to say, it's a liminal time. It's a, it's a boundary. It's a boundary time where the boundaries between the, the living and the dead, the supernatural and the natural are, per, are permeable. And, and and this is a time when you get quite a lot of divin, divination rituals as well about, you know, perhaps seeking who might die in the next year, those sorts of things. So it's, it's this moment of liminality, to give it a highfalutin term.
3: Well, historians love the term liminal, don't they? So one of the questions we've had in from Julie Brummel is why is Halloween on the 31st of October? So you've answered the first part of that, which is it's a date in the Christian calendar, but is there anything more we can unpick there about why this time of year perhaps or why this festival falls when it does in the Christian calendar?
0: This, this comes back to, you know, are there Celtic or pre-Christian origins to this? And you can't definitively say there are or there aren't because it is a time of year of decay. It is the time when the dry night's draw near. It is the time when, obviously, it's autumn, leaf fall. It's the time when you're getting the last crops, apples and pears. It's also a time when you start getting towards, you know, slaughter time. You know, in a traditional agricultural community, because grass is no longer growing and blah blah. blah. So it is a, you know, it is a moment in the year. Of profound, what you might call, rural agricultural significance. Obviously, you you can connect decay and the the longer nights and tie that in again with this sense of boundaries being pushed uh, and, and the sense of the shorter nights and obviously uh, again links with the supernatural.
3: And do we see any similar festivals elsewhere in the world?
0: Most cultures will have some sort of festival which is to do with the dead. You know, and not not just one. Obviously, you know Catholicism being a global religion around the world, we also get you know quite a lot, particularly in, in Central and South America. We also get plenty of examples of the ways in which uh, you might call indigenous, non-Christian religious traditions kind of get merged and mixed up with the Catholic calendar custom of All Hallow Tide. So you get you get this very rich mix of the ways in which All Hallow Tide and All Hallows Eve. All Saints Day or All Souls Day is celebrated around the world today. Certainly in, in Britain, America, it's much more as we'll come up, you know, a commercial festival of entertainment and stuff. But, you know, across other parts of the world, it's it's a, it's a profound religious festival, but still go with celebration. You know, they might carry statues of saints around the place, for example, all sorts of other traditions.
3: Okay, so now we've covered off some of the hows, whys and wheres. Let's dig into the what's. So Ali Louisa on Instagram has asked, what were some of the earliest Halloween traditions that we know about?
0: Well, I mean, again, that comes back to how, how to the early church and obviously things like the saying of masses for the dead. You might put out lights for the souls in purgatory uh, and candles, for example, on these sorts of days. In a Protestant Predominantly Protestant country like Britain or America, you know, we're, we're looking at sort of echoes of old Catholic festivals at this time of year, which might be, say, with lighting of candles and things like that, but are no longer considered to be Catholic practices, just become part of popular custom and tradition. Certainly in Scotland, we have evidence in the 18th century.
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
0: 19th century of people gathering together on Halloween as well and um, not not to commemorate the dead per se but to mark that time of year over over centuries it it becomes more of a just marking the calendar in a more secular sort of way again different again than Catholic feeling, you know, it's live and hot in Catholic countries but you know that's, that's a different matter again
3: Still to come on the History Extra podcast.
0: If you, 1920s, 1930s, you've got um, you know local conservative party having a Halloween party. You've got schools having Halloween parties. You've even got sort of churches having Halloween parties, which seems slightly odd. But it just shows you how disconnected from 1930s was coming when you've got church congregations saying, putting on a Halloween party to raise money.
3: Now we've got a few questions about specific Halloween traditions that I wanted to run past you. So, Kimberly Dresler has asked what you can tell us about jack-o'-lanterns, where the name of them comes from, um, and why they're carved at Halloween. I
0: mean, jack-o'-lantern was a traditional name for the, the, the ignited bog gas that people saw in the countryside at night. So another term is Willow the Wisp. Willow the Wisp, that kind of luminous light that, that you see bobbing around on the moors. You know, you see in you know, Sherlock Holmes, and, uh, you know, which, which is all part of Hound of the Baskervilles plot. You know, um, So a Willow the Wisp, and the wisp in Willow the Wisp is a similar thing. Wisp, a wisp is a kind of tied, some straw tied together which you would like just to briefly illuminate a place. So jack-o'-lantern is, is the same concept. It's a, it's a flickering, brief light, it's the idea again of going out on the moors with a lantern you can just see this flickering is it is it a lantern or is it bog gas is it is it you know is it the ignis fatuous being ignited so they both come from that and so obviously you can see that um carving and putting a light in a in a pumpkin or a turnip or a swede or whatever again the light is flickering it, it comes and goes as you move because it's it, it just you've only got you know the small holes in it so that that's essentially where it it comes from and it's a kind of yeah it's it's difficult to know the completely the origins of it and also you can trace it to when people are eating swedes and turnips in large quantities before pumpkins become popular in the 20th century
3: so swedes or turnips it didn't have to be a pumpkin then back in the day
0: no and I, even as even as a kid growing up in the 70s pumpkins no one no one was getting pumpkins at all um it, we we would carve swedes you know that's that, that was it, and the Swedes are quite hard to carve. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know there was lots of you know cuts and things and kids. So yeah, that that you know pumpkin really is recent. I mean, and but I can I've seen accounts of uh, people carving um, Swedes or turnips in the 19th century. In fact, there's a there's a very nice story from a, a vicar in Devon, well known folklorist um, and clergyman called Sabine Baring-Gould. And he tells this story as, as when he was he took over this the rectory in a, in a parish in, in Devon, and one night. Um, he thought he would he would as a young this is when he was young, and he thought he would scare the locals, you know, superstitious locals, and so he did. He carved a he carved a a turnip and put a candle in it and put it in the churchyard and thought, <laughs> I'm going to look, i to scare the wits out of them. He, he did this, and then he sat watching the porch, hiding himself away. And this little old lady came along uh, at night, saw there was a light on, saw it was a it was a you know a, a light in a in a carved turnip, came in. Pulled out the um, candle and took the turnip home to eat it, and he was most he was most disappointed that you know this this old woman wasn't jumping out of her skin at this you know at this, at this fright. So you can see it was being done like that you know as a as a prank you know in the nineteenth century.
3: So Mark Earls has asked us on Facebook about trick or treating. So Mark said, "When did trick or treating become a thing?" He was specifically asking about the UK, but can we trace it back further as well?
0: Well, you know, it's the, the, tr- the trick part of it comes from Mischief Night. The term trick or treat, I think, the earliest anyone's found it is the 1920s. I think it's in Canada, in fact, so it's North America again. So it's it's relatively recent. The term is relatively recent twentieth century. Really, begin becomes part of a, a, an Americanized form of Halloween after the Second World War, post-war period, and that's when you know it's in the 60s and 70s that we start getting the term trick or treat coming from North American being adopted. Uh, and used as part of this kind of new wave of of Halloween, which is obviously much more centered on children.
3: It's got echoes, hasn't it of other traditions for festivals like this so carol singing, you know going door to door asking for money, mumming, things like that.
0: There's ritualized elements to it and part of some of these rituals is the mumming or dressing up. Um, at this time so you go around as a band there might be a performance of a little play mumming plays you get ones with you know saint george and other characters as well-known ones which have been recorded from the early 20th century and you do get um, cross-dressing by men for example uh, taking place like this this again became an aspect of um, people trying to interpret this as some sort of much more ancient practice of trying to you know um be disguised so that the, the, the spirits don't recognise you. It's not really that. And again, there's no, no no real evidence for that. There's a long tradition, just like in pantomime, of of, of dressing up and um, men dressing as women, and again transgressing norms um, through dress uh, and being disguised. Also, the element of being disguised when you're performing mischief, so you can't be recognised criminally. And again, it is it's mostly about young men, but it, there is that element of charity. And if you don't give charity, then something bad mischief will happen. This is where Halloween just becomes, moves completely away from its early church Catholic origins, and then just becomes part of a a wider series of popular calendar customs.
3: So to pick up on your point about Halloween booming as this secular event in the calendar, Elle has got a question, which was when did people start capitalising on jump scares and spookiness for commercial game?
0: One of the early examples is actually Salem, you know, of, of, of witch trial fame. In the 1890s already, the Salem Association was being marketed. You would have jewellery makers, et cetera, et cetera, selling trinkets which were related to Salem's history. And through the early 20th century and into the mid-20th century, Salem became quite a hotspot for this idea of the commercialisation of witches as a kind of an entertainment Witchcraft as an entertainment figure of which is entertainment. And it was in the early 80s that various businesses in Salem Salem town actually got together and started putting on Halloween events, which obviously was to attract people in for hoteliers. And it's like a, a trades body in Salem that would say, let's capitalise on spookiness. So you can probably look at Salem as being in the vanguard of dealing, of commercialising both Halloween and the idea of spookiness as fun and ghost tours and things like that. But you can you can look back into history and find other... You can think about the Cock Lane ghost of the mid-18th century in, in London, you know, famous, famous sort of supposed ghost sighting and wrappings and, and knockings, which all took place in, a, in an inn in London. And the innkeeper was clearly, you know, making lots of money... From this because people were you know, flocking there both you know wealthy people influential people national figures as well as much more modest people clergymen he was making huge amounts of money out of out of this because they all came to space of obviously there's refreshments but also came to stay to see the ghost certainly ghosts have a long history of commercialization in this way
3: and i guess you could tie that all in with the emergence of gothic fiction and and things like that as well as that's essentially making money off of
0: Spooky stories, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, that that all comes off the back of this longer tradition of the idea of particularly of of ghosts and the idea of people wanting to have a supernatural experience when the supernatural is no longer (laughs) so much of a serious thing, if you see what I mean.
3: So on the point of no longer being so serious, Kubelik on Twitter has asked about Halloween costumes, whether there are any particular traditions behind Halloween costumes. And I wondered if there are any once really popular costumes that we don't maybe see anymore?
0: Not that I can think of. The costumes are your is stereotypical ones, uh, of which is putting on a white sheet, looking ghoulish, a trickle of blood round the mouth, putting on pointy hats, as I say, and putting on black, or basically enacting the stereotypes from art and literature, which go back the centuries themselves. I went through some um, newspaper history search engines from the... 19th and 20th century and put in Halloween party and they really only kick off in the 1890s and you do get people writing into some of the magazines going how do I put on a Halloween party what time does it start there's one it's called the Queen a publication called the Queen in 1894 said you know dear reader you know what 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 are these things what should I do how should people dress up uh what what time should we stop this dressing up phenomenon As a party atmosphere, yeah, is 1890s. But people were running around in in, in, in imitating ghosts, again, going back centuries. So the idea of mimicking the supernatural for a bit of fun has a longer history. But the idea of a Halloween party and collectively getting together and um, having jelly and, you know, things like that if you 1920s 1930s you've got um you know local conservative party having a halloween party you've got schools having halloween but you've even got sort of churches having halloween parties which seems slightly odd but it just shows you how disconnected from 1930s was coming when you've got church congregations saying putting on a halloween party to raise money uh, and they're protestant you know <laughs> it, it shows it's become completely divorced from its origins
3: I wanted to take us on now to a, one of the most Googled search terms for the history of Halloween. A lot of people at Halloween, of course, like to sit down with some spooky treats and popcorn and a good horror film. So what was the first horror film? And are there any culturally significant ones that you think are worth mentioning as a historian?
0: Ooh, you know, it's a slightly tricky one about how you define a horror film, obviously, uh, in the first place. In terms of the first films that are kind of aiming to scare you by recreating supernatural figures like ghosts or dancing skeletons or those sorts of things particularly, or the devil, then that's right at the beginning of film, 1890s, you know the very first cinematographers you know right, creating one, two three minute shorts, right at the beginning we're using amazing special effects, some drawn from camera technology. That would all have been done like double exposures and things like that. If I was looking at who who the earliest ones, I would probably put the French filmmaker Georges Melies. I think um, whose films are amazing because I've, I've watched them all when I was writing and doing a history of the social history of ghosts. You know, right from the beginning, he knew what he knew. He knew, he knew that people wanted to scare. And in one sense, he's the pioneer of this of the idea of scaring as entertainment it's a shift from when people are going I really don't want to see a ghost a ghost is scary to so let's go to the cinema and see this short where I want to be scared you know because it's all on a film and George beez knew that he tapped into the psyche of that and and his 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 skills at film trickery are just extraordinary for the time and he he did one called the house of the devil which again has a, a as a devil figure but he did ones with ghosts and had uh, ones where tables are dancing everything's jigging around there's also um a British a filmmaker at the same time, called George Albert Smith, who was operating in Brighton. And he too, right at the beginning, was doing supernatural shorts and, and recreating sort of translucent ghosts. The whole was for thrill, for a thrill and a scare. So those two, I would say, their, and their early films were the, the earliest horror films. And then, then you get, you obviously... Um, when you get into the early tens and twenties, and then into the speakers, then you start getting the classics, sorts of Draculas and Frankenstein's. You know, obviously based on literary stories, rather than that simple scare, ta- you know, the scare scare factor of ghosts and devils and things. It's, you, know, you start getting into the realms of monsters, and then into the nineteen thirties, when obviously then horror, black and white horror films, you know, being churned out with Bela Lugosi and Lon Chaney in America. And then the Hammer House ones, and then the real, you know, the scare shockers of the 1970s and 1980s, you know, including Halloween itself, which is obviously, which which goes back to being what you might call real shock horror, which are you know pushes the boundaries of what's entertainment or not.
3: So clearly, there's long been this idea that people want to be scared, and and there's a thrill in it, there's an enjoyment in it.
0: Yeah, and that I'd say that goes back to magic lantern shows. In the you know in the uh, even into the eighteenth century, people going on to a, a man, magic lantern. they want to be scared by these images that are coming up of ghosts and, and, and skeletons and things. So yeah, it's a long history of scary scarytainment.
3: <laughs> I wondered whether there were any Halloween traditions which have perhaps fallen out of fashion that you might like to see revived, or they could be ones that you don't want to see revived, <laughs> but are perhaps worth mentioning.
0: Uh, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to see you know mischief night. Greasing railway tracks or pushing over mobile toilets really brought back. That, that's I don't think anything, anyone any of us want that. There was, there are more simple things that, that that used to be done when I was a kid, which I probably which are still done now. Which is bring you back to the kind of time of year and the agricultural rhythm, like that like apple bobbing, bit of apple bobbing. Why not a bit of apple bobbing? And it it's, it's tied in with the apple harvest and picking the apples at this time of year and cider making and and and, and, and carving turnips. <laughs> yeah, everyone everyone should learn that how to carve a turnip. Pumpkins are too easy.
3: And I wanted to finish today's instalment of our Spooky Special with a question from Julie Brummel. Is the world getting less spooky? What's your take on that as a historian?
0: (laughs) Is the world getting less spooky? Uh, No. How we define spooky, what we think is spooky, and by spooky I think something that sends a shiver up your spine, uh, which gives you a thrill, which kind of gives you a sense that there's something out there. Which I, you know, which I center all the sort of things that make up a, a, a what is spooky or spooky experience. You know, some of the old things are in you know, in almost innate. I mean, I I go back when people kind of ask these sort of questions to me and I go, well, you know, in the eighteenth century, when, you know, the rise of so-called skepticism about supernatural, supposedly, and there's not really, there was a thing called the churchyard test. Someone proposed a churchyard test. So he said, You you, you skeptics, you skeptics, those of you who, who don't get a bit of shiver up your spine, you go through a churchyard at night and tell me you feel nothing. Uh, and it's a great, it's a great response. And he says, you, you may not believe in ghosts, but you go through a churchyard at night and say nothing. So, you know, those associations with the dead on a personal community level are, are always with us. Again, that whole sense we've just been talking about getting a thrill, uh, getting us out of the sense of what might happen, things that are, are beyond science. I mean, what, what are UFOs? You know, UFOs are a sense, an aspect of the spooky. UFOs arrive essentially You know, in the 1950s onwards, it's a a new thing, but it taps into the same senses and and thinking. Is there something out there? Did I just see an alien? Have I had an alien experience? Is no different from that kind of. I don't really want to experience it, but I wouldn't mind having a bit of a thrill from it. Or maybe I don't. You know, I wouldn't want to meet a fairy. Yes, maybe I would want to meet a fairy. I don't know. So you know, all those things are still with us, innate, uh, and and you know, traditions may come and go. Something, a new tradition always crops up to tap into it. Put it that way.
3: That was Professor Owen Davies make sure to tune in again tomorrow for part two of our halloween special we'll reveal how witches went from terrifying old crones to symbols of female empowerment and why ghosts wear white sheets thanks for listening to the history extra podcast this podcast was produced by jack Bateman.